Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guests on today's podcast are my friends Eric and Heidi Swap. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, we're so happy to be here. We are. Eric is especially happy. <laughs> and, and I have I have to tell you, I think that I've never been able to get him to come onto my podcast. So does this count? You then? must have some special powers. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, here we are. <laughs> really glad to have you both here. And um, we're going to talk about your five children. We're going to especially talk about your son, Corey, that died by suicide about four years ago in the year 2015. We're recording this in 2019. And we're going to start the podcast kind of with that. And then what you've learned and what you're sharing with so many people and the platform you have and the good you're doing and courageously talking about this very difficult subject. So you're both heroes for me because I've, I've followed particularly what you've done, Heidi, in the blog and your public sharing of your journey. I think it's helping so many people. And just by way of background, um, I was sitting in the Salt Lake Temple. Eric's a temple worker at the Ochre Temple on Wednesday morning, and I'm a Friday morning temple worker. And we're recording this on Wednesday, so I hope you're... Salt Lake, but you're at the Salt I'm Lake Temple. I'm at the Salt Lake Temple, and... and um, in our Easter devotional, President and Sister Price, members of the Temple Presidency, um, talked about Easter messages, and President Price talked about you two. And he talked about your son that died by suicide, and he used that language. And he talked about you were one of his missionaries, Eric, and how much he loved you, and, and how brave and how much love and respect he had for both of you for talking about the subject and connecting people with Christ and helping us do better. And I thought... Then I went back to the DMs we were trading, Heidi, on Instagram, and I realized I'd lost track of my DMs because we'd kind of talked about doing a podcast. Yeah. And then I think the ball was I in my know. court. I mean, you've got a lot of, you've got to be getting a lot of DMs. I don't know how you're managing I know. It. I sometimes forget about Instagram DMs So <laughs> in my old age. So I thought we need to do this podcast. So, and um, thank you, President Sister Price, for kind of reminding us. And, and like many in our community, you're talking about the wonderful work you're doing. Shout out to Jiang Huizhang. Jiao You know some. And so, Eric, you served your mission in Thailand. Taiwan. Taiwan. Taiwan, Taipei. Okay. And, and President Price was pretty young. He was, he was a young mission president with young kids at the time. And, That's great. And uh, unfortunately, I, unfortunately, I only had him for six months. And then I, uh, he went home and I had President Harvey Horner for the rest of it. Mission. Wow. So you had two mission presidents. Yeah. And you served a mission, Heidi. I did. I served in the Porto, Portugal mission um, in, what, 93, 94, I guess. 93-ish. <laughs> and this is a love story because your relationship started before your missions and it continued during your missions and it probably had some ups and downs, but you got married. Tell us how old you were when you got married and where you got married. We're going to ask Eric. Day before, day before my 24th, ber 24th birthday okay. in the Salt Lake Temple. So That's it's great. December 21st. So we have the, you know, it's, it's, our it's anniversary. We call it the anniversary. <laughs> You've coined a new word. <laughs> uh, it's my birthday word for presents I give myself. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It's my anniversary present. And I'm always thankful because he's very difficult to shop for. I like that. But coincidentally, my wife and I were married the day before I was my birthday. Oh, really? But a lot, lot in time ago. So 
sense. But, I mean, it makes sense at the time. And but now like, I have a new word to describe my life. Yes. Thank you, well, Rick. It only works if you have anniversary, birthday, and Christmas all within Well, that's days. true. That's part of your words. So yeah. I have Easter in there. I'll have to kind of come, develop come a version for yeah. adding Easter to our three events. So that was 94. So we're, we will, we just celebrated 24 years. 24 years. Yeah. And we, we, I don't know if we can say that we totally dated for five years, but we were very strong letter writers for the better part of five years, six years. That's great. Yeah. And this is letter. This is an email or FaceTiming. No, this this is back, letters. So when I was... Put postage. In, put, in fact, I was living in Portugal on my mission and Eric was in China on study abroad. And I think that it took 20 days, 24 20, yeah. days for the the letters to cycle all the way Is around. that crazy? <laughs> wow. So the missionaries now, they don't know how lucky they are. They do have it luck. It's different. And the moms, I mean, we're like, of course, my son has been home before the new changeover of the weekly talking, um, which so now I think those moms are super lucky, but so it is pretty lucky to, to have email. I'll just introduce a little bit more of your story. You have five kids, um, four that are living. Corey is gone. We'll talk about Corey. You live in Harriman. You're both active members of the church. And and um, Heidi, you've done a lot with, um, describe your business and just give us a way to find your website and an overview of what you do. I know many of our listeners are familiar with you, but for any that aren't, will you share with what you do? Yep. So it is, I don't know, it is hard for me to describe in, in just a few words, but I'm consider myself a creative. And so I have a creative business. Um, I'm a product designer. And so I design products for the creative industry being crafts and paper crafts, memory, keeping card, making home decor parties, DIY stuff. So my website is HeidiSwap.com. And um, so for about 18 years, I've been designing products that are sold like um, in little crafting stores around the whole world. That used to be called scrapbook stores. Scrapbook stores, yes. Um, And then, you know, online stores that kind of went through the online store thing and... um, my products can also be found at Michael's and at Joann's and at Hobby Lobby. So kind of those chain yeah. type stores, sometimes in Staples and Office Max, sometimes um, at discount retailers like TJ Maxx or Tuesday morning and kind of, you know, you never really know. Or you're going to once in a while at Target or Costco. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. It's cool. To but just... I, I also have kind of all my, my own little side projects and I, um, I have a, well, we have a little wood shop that we produce fun things I like to call I have a little workshop that I like to call the Bat Cave it's kind of where I and if people want to find you on Instagram what's your Instagram yep just Heidi Swap Heidi Swap everywhere just with two find, P's and you'll find wherever yep in fact it, just funny side note if you're not a crafter it used to be that you would do all kinds of swaps so maybe ribbon swaps or tag swaps or um, so you would kind of buy items in bulk and then you would enter into a swap with other people and, you know, everybody would kind of exchange their goods and, and that was, a swap is like a thing, right? And so a lot of people thought, 
that it was like a stage name. <laughs> so you married Eric. Very... So I married Eric, and it's actually it's actually my, to... my family's last name. Way to bring value to the table, <laughs> Eric, and I the am marriage. The swap behind the Heidi. <laughs> <laughs> so that that works. So I've I've been doing this for a, a long time. I am a passionate memory keeper, for sure. And storyteller. Yeah. And we're just really glad to have you on the podcast. I hope our listeners that we, we talk about suicide more in our society right now, and we're aware that it's a challenge. And in Utah, there's a lot of resource and a lot of chop. But you know this space because you had a son die by suicide. And I just pray that the Spirit will be here. I pray that as listeners that have walked this same road you have can he'll feel some of the healing that you felt. And you can bring that to others. I hope that you'll bring parenting insights so that we can all do better as parents. And and I think you, as we visit Bohrand, you have a great, you know, feeling about our eternal plan of salvation and how this all fits in. And you've had to go really deep <laughs> um, spiritually to sort of understand what's going on here. And as we visited beforehand and the wonderful prayer you offered, Eric, before we started recording, I just pray that that spirit will come through and everybody will just feel a little more hope and a little more healing and a little more understanding of how to help people. I want to thank you um, just up front. Number one, a lot of people say committed suicide. That was probably the language that we use yeah. and, and that most people know to use. Um, and you have said, you know, died by suicide. Um I learned pretty early that the word committed felt uh, hurt. It was a con condemnation. Yeah. It, it, was a, it was a hurtful, shameful way to describe it because you didn't, you didn't commit cancer. You didn't commit those other things that, that are other ways that people would pass away by. You know, he... The coroner says yes. It was it was suicide, which is the proper term for taking one's life. But and so and so we we appreciate it when you say when when we say he passed away from suicide or by suicide. What is your preference? Because that's something I'll ask people when I don't know space. Instead of, I mean, I had a fellow that was three foot nine on the podcast releasing, and I asked him the vocabulary I should use to describe what is the very best way to describe what happened to Corey. And and I think the only that's the only thing the only word that I don't that we don't love is the word committed. So died or passed by, uh -huh. passed away by. Yeah. And, and we'll say he took his life. Yeah. You know that's another way. Um, it took it took a long time to be able to say any of those things. It's okay. And so I also want this audience to know that, um, we've Eric and I both worked really hard to be able to talk this openly, both inside of our relationship as a couple, um, with our friends and family, and um, our, ch our children, and, um, and also publicly. So, you know, anybody who's listening, you know, you can take a deep breath. This is, this is something that we feel comfortable in, and we're thankful for the opportunity to share about. Um, but I, I do know we are aware it's a really tender and difficult topic. Um, I think one of the, to just talk with us about, um, 
introduce Corey to our listeners. I've had the chance to go through your blog and look through all these pictures of this wonderful kid of yours. Um, just bring him, just talk about Corey for a minute. Eric, why don't you? I'll let you do it. I, I, I just got teary. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. he's a great kid, and I like to use... I almost don't like to use past tense terms because yeah. he is a great kid yeah, and he, he is, is alive and doing good things. So I don't, I try not to even use past tense to describe yeah. this kid. And that's kind of how we are too. Yeah. Um, Corey, you know, just such a fun, hilarious, loving, like carefree up for anything. Um, he, he just loved to have fun. That kid and everything he did, he did like all in, even including sleep. He slept <laughs> hard. He played hard. He just, um, what he sports just were he in? All in. The sports kid. He, he was a, he wasn't the greatest of athletes, but he was very athletic. And he, we did a lot of rugby. We did several years of rugby. He, uh, as a kid, did hockey and then did some hockey again later, just before, just in the last years. Um, strong as an ox. We uh, were doing CrossFit at one point and um, they would have these competitions and whatnot. And he wanted so bad to be part of them, but he wasn't old enough. And he would still train like it and still do things and he would, there was one instance, we live in Harriman and the Mountain View Corridor had just been built and 13, probably 13 years old, puts on a, on he put on a, uh, he was 13 years old, put on a elevation mask. So we're already at 4,500 feet. <laughs> and he, he puts on this mask that restricts the oxygen flow so that your blood cells and whatever have to, there's more technical to it, but anyways, Puts it on, takes his shirt off, and says, I'm going to go for a run. With this restrictive With, oxygen thing at 4,500 feet. Yeah. So yeah. he's now at 8,000 feet yeah. or something. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I go, okay, great. And uh, I, you know, so take your phone in case you need to call us. And he calls, I don't know, probably 45 minutes, an hour, hour and a half later. I don't, I don't remember exactly the timing of it. 10 miles away. 10 miles away. It says, Tag, can you come get me? <laughs> He just uh, hadn't really thought about it. He the just hadn't trip. thought, you know, that, that there needed to be a return trip. <laughs> so he just the return know, would have been another ten miles. He's kind of Forrest Gump, just ran and started running <laughs> and running. Just yeah, just so strong. Um, he loved to skateboard and he loved to snowboard. So just extreme sports that that he loved, and so um, he could eat you out of house and home. Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. One just of the pictures the I time. love on. And I encourage people to find this on Heidi um, Swap's website. It's called My Heart, Corey's Story. And it's just all these pictures of Corey, including the funeral. And one of the pictures I love here is all his teammates in their rugby hockey, jerseys. Hockey hockey, jerseys. These are hockey jerseys. Yeah, this is hockey team. And so I can see four or five, you know, I think it's so cool they wore their jersey. Oh, yeah. To the viewing. And here they are all around the casket. And I just, you know, that's a really difficult moment, but you're kind of all ministering to these, this team, looking and, at you, trying to just, you know, help them process this. It makes sense of everything, yeah. People just loved 
Corey so much. Um, he was everybody's, he was friends with everybody, even people he didn't really like. He, he would, he knew how to make people feel like he liked them, even if they weren't his favorite person. Well, and that was that story from the candlelight vigil, you know, that, that we heard back that they all gathered in the park and, and Colton had said a couple words, Heidi's brother said a couple words and everybody, you know, two or 300 kids all kind of congregated into their little groups of where they knew him. You know, this group of 30 or 40 kids knew him this place and this group of 30 or 40 kids knew him at this place and this place. And they all started telling stories and they called him and Heidi's brother Cameron walked around and listened to the stories and were texting us and telling us, you know, what was being said. And we were just dying because there's, there we was a lot of things. We didn't hear any of the, like we had no idea some of these crazy stories. And some you kind of wished you didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> Same as I'm sure that's true of our, of every parent. Yes. Yeah. Where did you, and I'm just, I'm not sure I introduced your family or gave you a chance to, but you have five kids. So it goes Colton and then Corey, and they're like 18 months apart. Mm -hmm. And then Quincy, Capri. A, Quincy's a girl. And Quincy's a girl, and she's 18 now. <laughs> yeah. She's from Harriman. She's a senior at Harriman. And then you have a little gap here. You've got six-year gap, is that right? And yep. tell us your last two kids' names. Yep. And then Capri, who's also a girl, she's 12. And Connor, who is eleven. So you've got five kids here, four boys and two yeah. three boys two and boys. two girls. Yeah. Um one and I know we're just kind of I'm just enjoying some of these pictures. So where did the idea come to write notes on this, I think, white casket? It was Did you think of that ahead of time, or did someone just start getting out a Sharpie and writing no, notes we, on this where, casket? Where did we think we we thought yeah. of it ahead of time, but we did buy a plain, kind of a plain gray. Because we it's had a great casket. You know, here here's the thing. Um I'm I don't like to do anything normal. <laughs> I think we like that about you, Heidi. It's probably one of the reasons Eric like likes you. Uh, yeah. Well, except it for when he has to busy. facilitate. <laughs> it keeps me busy. Um you know as I I knew that we were gonna have to plan a funeral soon in the hospital. So when, when Corey um I will share that, that Corey, a lot of people ask this question, so I'm, I'm just going to share, because I think that sometimes um, when we conjure up thoughts in our own head, it's worse almost. I mean, it, it, it's, it's a rough story, but I'm just going to share that um, Corey had been really struggling. He'd had a couple days of, of very like anxiety attacks and I didn't really know what that was. Um, both Eric and I had really been concerned about him and I had sat up all night with him. In fact, the night before it happened, just trying to be supportive and trying to listen and, and he didn't, he couldn't really talk. He was very sad and crying. And if I, I mean, I, I probably should have taken him to the hospital. Like, I didn't really know. It, it, anyway, um, I was, we had gone to, to see our counselor and um, had, like, a really great session. You and Corey? Me and Corey. Okay. Eric was out of town um, with our oldest son on a, on a rugby trip, and 
I'd had this session with Corey that I really felt this amazing piece of peace and love. And I really felt like, in fact, I got in the car and Corey and I had dri driven separately and I called Eric and I said, I think we're going to be okay. I think we've turned the corner. I mean, that's how I felt. Um, and so it was almost about almost an hour later that I got a phone call um, from, well, I, I called him and he didn't answer. I asked him to call me back and he called me and told me goodbye. And he, and he was in hysterics. I didn't know where he was. I couldn't understand. Um, and, and I got out of him that he was in the bathroom. I didn't know where that was. And I didn't know if he'd hurt himself. I didn't know. Um, he hung up and didn't answer the phone again. I called 911. I was about 45 minutes away from home at that point. And so, um, first responders got to our home and, and actually heard the gun, gunshot. And so they were actually just on scene seconds. Seconds. After, after it happened. Well, as they pulled up, uh, he had looked out the window, had seen them, they saw him. So they weren't quite sure what they were dealing with. And it's um, important. I think that's important. Number one, to just know that there was a lot of help surrounding Corey. Um, he didn't want help. And that's hard. He didn't want help. No. Um, so once, so literally they were, they were attending to Corey within 10, 15, 10, maybe 15 seconds. And, and resuscitating him. And, um, I was on with the dispatch who was rerouting me to the hospital. Um, the miracle there is that none of us found Corey. Um, and, and I'm thankful. And yeah. miracle, there, there's a lot of miracles a that we miracle, look at yeah. right there that a, nobody found him. That it was a shock obviously, but nobody was traumatized with that. And the fact that as they left the house, his heart was beating and he was breathing. Um, so there was hope. There was there hope. was a chance. Um. Anyway, so as it as we went on, I was told that his injuries would not he, that he would not be able to sustain life. Um. And I didn't really know what that meant, and I needed Eric to to be there, and he was put on to life support, and um. I knew. I knew we were going to have to plan a funeral. And so I started even just processing that even before he had, he had been declared um, dead. And um, I'm thankful for the time that I had to think about that, even though it was a really horrible thought. And so they were keeping him alive, and he was... Until until Colton and I had gotten home. Yeah. You got home from Canada. Yeah. Um, he was strong, 
healthy kid. And um, we were really aware that his organs um, would benefit others. And this was a, you know, it's, it's a hard conversation to have right then. And um, <laughs> should I tell that he wasn't a donor? Yeah, his license said he wasn't a donor, but <laughs> we overrode him. We overrode that. <laughs> we think he's I okay think he's that. probably glad with that. Um, and, and and he was a donor to eleven people. Eleven people. Yeah, and and there's some miracle stories there, including. Um, Did that strong the, heart was it donated? Yeah, mm -hmm. and and the most magical, amazing miracle is actually his lungs. His lungs. And it's, and we've been in contact with with the recipient who's changed his life yeah. and and it's just been an amazing thing to the connections and how we've ended up really meeting wonderful. him and these eight thousand foot lungs these uh, lungs that function yeah, at yeah. eight thousand feet I'm, I'm these are like so great yeah wow um so when when i had to plan a funeral i just didn't want a normal funeral i didn't want normal programs I didn't want you know when we went to the to the mortuary it was really easily the worst thing I've ever done and he would live for about three days on life support is two days one day and three it days was, it was not quite 24 hours before oh, we so it's just 24 hours the, yeah. the formal procedures of so he's on life but support they perhaps. they have to keep him um for 36 hours um, well, once, to, once, once, once the proper procedure happened, and there was the the declaration, that's when the organ donor team steps in and okay. starts to do all their things. And okay. So we stuck around because because he was still there. Sure. And, and, and his he was warm. He was body. warm. His warm. His heart, his heart was still was beating, beating, and, and his, he was still breathing. And I'm sure he was there close by. So then you went to the mortuary. So we went to the mortuary and I just, I had the headache from crying. Just, you, f you feel so awful. And then let's start talking about money <laughs> and these decisions that are just insane. And I mean, nobody goes and like pre-plans their funeral, but you should. But you really should. I don't care what age you it are. Was, you really should. It was, it was just even awful. if all you do is put them in the cart on Amazon or wherever. And so by the way. Just let your family know, this is what I'm okay with. By the way, you can order a casket on Amazon and have it delivered to the mortuary. You don't have to pay the ridiculous <laughs> And Costco. Prices. Yeah. And Overstock. We Turns just didn't, a lot. We we didn't, didn't know, know that. It's interesting. Um, I would never know that. No, but, so, but you know, they, everybody out there listening, just go and take a little bit of time and plan your own stuff. Just make it a little bit easier. It, they took us in to look pick caskets and it and it's just it's horrible and um and bless their hearts they're worse than car salesmen <laughs> so well, the mortuary I mean, experience is hard it's, just, it's, a, it's horrible a hard situation right and so anyway sorry car salesman i didn't mean that <laughs> i looked at you're the, just fine eric <laughs> i just didn't want to be normal and so i said you know i think I, and i got the idea right there I, I said i think we should decorate the casket i don't know if we should spray paint it you know, I thought maybe we should let everybody come in with spray paint and just. I don't think the church would put, allow or us put to like do that tons of stickers all over it, or like let's make this look cool because he would hate this, you know. And 
He doesn't and, want that shiny one with the gold leaf and the. You know, oh, Corey. Oh, There's he no, would have. I mean, would've... just the satin inside. Like he would have haunted us not. if we had done that. <laughs> and then it was like, I knew I couldn't bury him in church clothes. Like that would be like the worst. He'd be mad at me forever. <laughs> and, and so you buried him so in. We, we buried him in his very favorite wolf shirt. I think that's awesome. And his favorite pizza socks and bands. I think that's great. Yeah. He, I bet when his friends came up to the casket, I know you had a viewing, open casket viewing. Yeah, and we did. From and the pictures I've seen, I bet so they he, loved he that. Loved, he loved these horrible wolf shirts so you could only get at gas stations. And he wore them all the time and it really made them cool. And you know what's interesting is he had a friend who got in the car that that next day and drove all the way to Cedar City to the gas station that had the best selection of wolf shirts and bought... People everybody love. wolf shirts and we said to everybody we we tweeted out or i don't know how put people found through, out the kids put it out through social kids, media yeah to wear your skate high vans and your wolf shirts your animal shirts to the to the viewing and and it was funny because you could see the people who kind of knew and got the memo and we and were the all older dressed generation in. of our parents and <laughs> some of our parents are aunt and uncle or somebody said why are all these kids? What's up with Harriman? Up? Is this a Harriman thing? Was Harriman. Yeah, yeah. It's a way to. Uh, it's I mean, Corey. Harriman's way out there. It's it's the Hickville. This is Corey and honoring Corey and all of his friends. But I, I will tell you, um, there was such a healing of being able to write a note on the casket. Everybody, everybody loved it. And it was covered. It is covered. It was covered. Looking. There was not a whole lot of space left. I, as a matter of fact, there was no space left. And then I was sad because I didn't even want to bury it because it was so cool. And we we spent an hour or so afterwards just reading it, photographing every bit of it, um, laughing and crying. And I'm looking at little kids here on oh, one yeah. of these pictures, kneeling down at the bottom of the casket, just riding, and I'm seeing smiles and just... I think it's a great healing thing that you, it's a gift you gave to people that came to the viewing that they could heal a little bit by writing a note to Corey. Yeah. And there's, it's symbolic that this note is with him. Yeah, it and, was, it was, it was beautiful. I mean, it was awful. I, so I have a friend who printed, um, printed out photos for us. A little shout out to Persnickety Prince. And she, I think there was 300 photos wow. and I, we lined the we hall. We taped them in the hall. Just Both sides of the hallway, all the way down. For the funeral? Yeah. The next, so yeah, these the were viewing. just... Viewing. The viewing. For the viewing, okay. And um, the line was long, and, it, and it, that, that was hard. What a great idea. But I wanted... Well, and then we also... wasn't any thought of ours. We didn't think this or plan, or obviously didn't plan anything. But um, a girl that used to babysit for the kids, for, for Colton and Gordon and Quincy growing up was their babysitter had become has become a photographer and is a really pretty good photographer and she said hey i'm coming up and i'm going to take photographs of the funeral for you and i was like no i do not want this what? photograph who what you don't take photographs of this and it turns out there's some of the she drove all the way from arizona yeah. just yeah shout mm -hmm. out to elizabeth hutzler Lawler. Lawler. yeah <laughs> married name um, used to that i I didn't want to see myself. I didn't want to see any pictures of myself. And and I'm thankful for them, for those photos. And and I will say that 
the fun the the viewing and the funeral were beautiful. And I wanted to people, I just wanted everyone to remember Corey, not what had happened. Like he wasn't suicide, you know, that wasn't who we he was. We want that to define him. Good. And so it was about stories and um, seeing the pictures and, and I loved it. I, the, the funeral was hard. Both Eric and I spoke at the funeral. Um, we had three of his close friends speak and um, my brother, it, it was beautiful. And I felt peace. Peace is a strong word. There was a, there, there we, was, we felt, we felt good as about good it. as possible. Good. We felt that we we did him justice. He, sure. he would have been, yeah. if he was sitting there, which I'm sure he was, you know, around, he would have thought, hey, that was a pretty cool funeral. Good. That was, that was good. He, he would have been good with what we did. You know, I'll share one more tip. They really wanted us to pick a, a marker, a grave marker, that day. And... I just I couldn't, um, and only just six months ago, September, seven months October, ago, August, did August. did we finally get a grave marker in place? And so, and I so, love it. You know, I had a little three by five card for three years, and and that it's hard for some people to understand why I didn't just you know just pick the sample and get the date on there and. I couldn't. It's I more couldn't than do the it. date. You knew the date, but you didn't know yeah. the rest of it. So, um, and tell us what's on that. What's one of the themes that's on the grave marker and the theme from the funeral? Well, the grave marker is is very, very tender, very special to us. And Corey loved wolves. That was his thing. So wolves. Yeah. So we had wolves um, lasered into the granite, and then and then we put hashtags on it <laughs> um and so it says hashtag wolf brother for eternity hashtag best smile award hashtag um there's one more um and then the last one says hashtag gone ahead gone ahead so at the at the funeral one of our dear friends spoke one of our leaders in our state presidency and he said I'm not going to do the accent. He's he's from England, and we love that about him. But he said, well, Corey's not gone. He's just gone ahead. And that thought and that message was just very comforting. I love that. Talk about what your stake present shared with you and just uh, think a moment while you're outside the chapel after the funeral yeah. before you left. So um, when we were, it was actually just when we turned Corey's body over to donor services and we're coming Oh, so this was before the funeral. Yep. And um, we saw our stake presidency actually standing outside the church, probably after a meeting or something. And we pulled in and, uh, and they, they're dear friends there. Um, but it was a pretty new stake president and, and actually we didn't, one that we really didn't one know. One that we knew really well and when and our state president we didn't know so well. And he 
he looked at us both in the eyes and, and first he said, you know, most marriages don't survive. Wow. A tragedy. That's a scary thing to hear. And he said, you guys need to know that, that you're in for, for a fight um, for your marriage. And, um, but one of the things, and why don't you tell, tell Eric what, what he said? He says, well, you know, not only do I want you to know that I love you and, and we're here for you and we, we love you so much, but what we want to let you know is that I believe that we are ordained to this earth and we are ordained to our time here and that we won't be here one minute longer or one minute less than what 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 that is. And for us, that gave us just amazing peace right then. Well, what was and amazing it, and, is that we both felt this huge jolt of yeah. the Spirit. Like the Spirit totally testified to both of us and we, all of us were in tears. We all felt it. And um, it was something that I'd never really thought about because of course I didn't think that this could possibly uh, be part of a, 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 pla a plan. Do you think this was kind of part of the plan, the swap family plan from the pre-earth life that this might happen? You know, I, I hate, I hate to think that I hate to think that suicide would ever be a plan of that. There would be any, um, that any God would make that someone's plan or, you know, I mean, obviously we have free agency and, um, but I, I actually now, now that we're this four years out from this, I can definitely look at this and say, we would not be the people that we are today and our family would not be the family that we are and our testimonies would not be what they are without this. And I do, I do believe that there was a time that we sat down with our savior and he said, you know, would you be willing to do this? And looked at each one of us and said, would you be willing to do this? Because through this trial and this story and this experience, you and the people that you share this with will be able to grow closer to me and gain understanding. And Are you and Eric closer now than you've been? You know, we've always been close. I'm looking at him to make sure he, he nods. <laughs> You've been holding hands a lot tonight, so I kind of <laughs> know the answer to this. <laughs> um, it's a different kind of close. Yeah. And um, there's not very many people that know how I feel. But Eric does. <laughs> what a great compliment. What a great sign of a wonderful marriage. Yeah. Um, I think you're doing such a great job on just sharing really tender stuff. You know, I speak by half of all our listeners that kind of have tears in their eyes. Just want to thank you for your courage to talk about really 
I think sometimes when I kind of, before I'd ever talked to any parents or anybody in this space, I wanted to simplify why someone would die by suicide and just kind of, because it kept me emotionally safe. And I, I wanted to think, well, it's just this or that. And so that could never happen to me or someone in my family. And I think the more I've learned about this space, it can happen to anybody's family and it's complicated. And so I think we sometimes look for simple answers to just keep us safe and think that won't happen to us. And as, as you've looked back, you know, I think, you know, what, what, what have you learned about Corey and where he was and some of the, the feelings of the things he was working on and not to, you know, make you feel like you didn't solve problems and, I don't want this to be where you beat yourself up because now you've realized some things you didn't realize at the time and you maybe wish you had done some things different. So I don't want to make you feel like that. But, you know, it's there's probably been some learning about where Corey was that you could share with our listeners. Well, I think we've beat ourselves up enough that you don't have to worry about it. Well, because we want you to heal. And we think you're pretty wonderful uh, people and parents. And You know, one of, the, one of the things, and I'll start, and I want... I'd love for Eric to, to chime in. Um, one of the things that as I've been asked to speak to groups and, and share and a, and a question says, you know, what, what was it that really, you know, why people will say, you know, why, why do you think he, he did that? Did he write a note? Did he tell you why? And I will say that, it's not one thing, it's a thousand things. And that's, that's really important. That every one of these situations, like you, you just said, is very complicated. It's, it's, there's so many layers um, and, and a billion questions. Like we have so many, so many questions, right? Um, but I'm, I will also say that somebody that is mentally and emotionally stable doesn't make that decision. So we know that, we know that Corey wasn't rational, wasn't emotionally stable when he made that decision. And so, um, I'm sure that the lies that he was telling himself and believing and things that he may have felt that he would never resolve. Um, I will add that there's another podcast episode that is, is that you've done and it's the gentleman that works at BYU and I should have written down his name. I knew it. Um, Brian Young that had a child. No, the, the one that Jeff is, Case? Yes. yes. Yeah, Jeff Case. And I'm not sure what number the episode is. I should have written down that too. And maybe put that in It's 34. No, I'm <laughs> I don't know what it is. I've the, listened to it, but I don't know. The episode that he talks about suicide, uh, understanding suicide, I think every parent, yeah. I think every person should listen to. It is such a, and, and I have referred it over and over to people because it's so clear the, that not wanting to be a burden, yeah, that, not, that person not wanting to be a burden, that person, um, the, uh, the shame. They don't feel they belong. They don't yes. want to be a burden and they're predisposed to risky behavior. Yes. I think and were the three it, things, if I remember. It was so helpful. Um, 
I mean, what, what would you add about Corey's situation? Well, just part of that complication. And I like to bring this part out because I, I think that, you know, it is, it is a good thing to know and it's a good thing to understand. And, and I want parents to always look out for these be things. Aware as, be aware Corey had had two pretty significant concussions. Uh, excuse me. Let me go back. Two significant head injuries. Uh-huh. Um, about a year apart, uh, different events, different things, but just being a kid, one was in a practice and one was goofing off doing some things. And, um, we didn't see it at the time, but as we met with donor services, um, the day after, and they came in and did the kind of the full medical history and they started asking us about certain dates and certain visits to the hospital. It, it was very clear to us, uh, the spirit kind of made it known to us that, that those were partial catalysts, um, that changed his behavior and, and that some of the behavior changes that he showed personality, changes. personality changes, behavioral changes that coping abilities, mm-hmm. focus, focus, school behavior, yeah. all of those were, they were far enough removed as far as a time frame. Um, like the last concussion that happened two years before, two years before in May. And it wasn't until that fall late, you know, mid fall that we started seeing real behavior changes in school and in attitude and behavior, you know, and he was a ninth grader in a new school. So we, we assumed or, or looked at that as parents is that's the problem. You know, he, he's sorry that the new school, the new environment, the new, whatever is, is the problem and didn't associate back that the head injury might've had something to do with it. Um, because it was in hindsight, it was very clear that the timing of things coincided very well. And a lot of the behavior and personality and coping things, uh, were direct, um, symptoms of an injury. I love that. It's a a great injury. Um, and it doesn't mean that we're, you know, we've put our kids in bubble wrap. I still coach rugby. Um, Connor, our other son still plays hockey. Um, we ride dirt bikes and, and we're just very, very much aware of it that when something happens, we take it a lot more serious. And, and that's not to say that we didn't at the time. Cause we did, I, I rested him. He stayed out of sports that summer things, but there was injuries that took place that changed him and he didn't know how to deal with those and yeah. we weren't seeing it either. So, you know, that's all, that's just part of the Part of the layers of complication. When you say it's a, you said it's not one thing, it's a thousand things. That really resonates for me. Yeah. And so when, you know, when you're not performing well in school and, and when in primary they say, when you're going to take a test, you say a prayer and the Lord will help you. And then you still don't do well on the test. Um, it start that kind of thing started to really affect his faith. Um, and we passed for other things. I was looking for a job at the time mm-hmm. and thought things would happen and it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And, and know, now we look back and we see the, the wisdom, but, but the young kid that was trying to help his family, you know, so 
talk about this term re- that I can barely pronounce, religi- religiosity. Religiosity. I think that, um, so I didn't know what this was, and you can Google it. So if anybody is interested in Googling it, I think it is important. Um, we didn't know this like everything in retrospect, but um, when Corey was around 12 years old, I remember one one night he told us that he needed to talk to us and he was super upset. And I just was thinking, I mean, I didn't know. And we walk into his room and sit down and he's laying on his bed, just crying. And he's got to tell us something. And we had just no idea what it was. We're prepared for it. Like I didn't, I, I was prepared for something horrible. And he told us that, he had a swearing problem. And both Eric and I were like, oh, well, yeah, okay. You know, and, and, but he, the fact that he, and it, and it wasn't even swear words that he was saying, it was swear words in his head. Wow. And he just was so mad that he couldn't get control. So we would talk about saying, prayers and primary songs and replacing it and laughing and but it that was it that was at 12 years old right and it would he would obsess and yeah. feel horrible horrible about it and we just kind of like okay we dealt with it move on um well fast forward to our youngest son connor and connor was seven when this happened and connor happens to to look a lot like Corey and act a lot like Corey and like all the same things that Corey liked and um, talk like Corey, sleep like Corey, have the same feet as Corey, <laughs> eat like Corey. Anyway. Sounds like another great kid. He's he a great awesome. kid. And this, when he was seven and, and this happened and, and Connor was in the car with me when I got the call, Connor had to come to the hospital with me, Connor. Connor and Capri both did. You, you know, um, very much experienced severe PTSD. Mm. And um, so about a year went by and Connor started to just go downhill. He developed some weird OCDs, washing his hand till his hands would bleed, hating school, hating, like just, he was not okay. And um, we wound up taking him to, a neuropsychologist. He'd been seeing a therapist, di- diagnosed with PTSD, um, went to see a neuro... What, what's her title? I thought it was a neuropsychologist. Um, and she gave him a battery of tests that took an entire eight-hour day, 64 tests. And he was diagnosed with dyslexia, dysgraphia, ADD, OCD, anxiety, depression, he was diagnosed with um, as as an empath, which he also was, he was ten. He's I 10. didn't know what this was. He, he was nine. nine. He was nine at the time. Sorry. And um, and we were told that he had a special type of relig- of OCD called religiosity. And this is Connor now. This is Connor, and what this meant was that he was obsessed with the fear of, of going to hell and of, of not living up to what he was supposed to be. 
And I and I remember in this and this it sh it's only funny because I mean okay so we got baptized so Connor turned eight shortly after Corey passed away. Uh, a couple days before. Okay, you're, you're right. You're right. So Corey was so Connor Sorry, was going to. I wasn't going to talk, and here we are. <laughs> so he, you're you know, a, he said he wasn't going to correct me, but so, you're a good team. You're so doing Corey just, just great. Turned, Connor had just turned eight years old, so he would be baptized. And just a couple weeks after, like, we weren't ready for a baptism. But Connor was really excited to be baptized, and I I just couldn't handle the baptism. And so we waited one more month, and Connor got baptized. And do you remember Connor bearing his testimony the day after he got baptized? Oh, man. Tell us. Do you remember? Mm. You want me to see? So Connor bravely marches right up to the pulpit and he, you know, he's like, I want to bear my testimony. I know this church is true. I'm so thankful that I could get baptized so that I won't go to hell. Wow. And then walked off. Walked that was off. it. Dropped and, the mic and walked away. And of course, everybody everybody busts up laughing because you can't help it. I mean, it it was just <laughs> It was, I mean, it was like, <laughs> and, and we were just like, oh my gosh, we, we, okay, we didn't practice that. That was, that was not in the script. Um, it's not, those of you not of the LDS faith, that's not a traditional <laughs> way to, to talk about it. But that was this very clear picture into Connor's head. How insightful for you to know that. Well, I didn't know it quite yet until we got this diagnosis. But good for you working with clinical people oh, to understand. It was, in fact, when Connor got the diagnosis, he was so relieved. Oh, he, so you he told was, Connor. Yeah, yeah. The, the, oh, the doctor told him? The doctor him? told him, went through, you know, we were there and we sat down and she went through all these things and explained them to him and explained. And he was like, that's why. That's why. I'm So I'm not stupid. You know, he was thrilled. In fact, he wanted me to come into to his school class the next day and explain to everybody. To the teacher and the fellow student. Everybody in the class, what his diagnosis was. So that is really cool because the process to be diagnosed is cool, but the fact that you told this kid, I mean, my parental instincts was, oh, I'm just going to process this parents. I'm not going to involve my kid, but you involved your kid. And how relieving that was for him just to understand because he knew something perhaps was off. Oh, he knew. Weight, weight of the world off his shoulders. That's really cool. And he started to slowly come back to us. And he, I mean, he told everybody like the checker at the Walmart that he was dyslexic and like he was just so empowered that something wasn't wrong or that there was a reason, you know? He wasn't broken. So it didn't make him feel grope to have this diagnosis. It right. made him feel empowered. It yeah. did. And it's so, really fascinating. I, and I think it has to do with the doctor. The doctor did an amazing job of helping him Not, understand. No shame and no like. Oh, she was awesome. And, but she was very concerned about two things, about the fact that he was empathic. And, and if you don't know what that means, it means that he has the ability to feel other people's feelings, which becomes... And not everybody's, but but people that he gets close to. Connor's the same way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Corey's the, the same way. I think Corey's the same way. Um, and that 
he had this religiosity OCD. And so he went through um, almost a year of cognitive behavioral therapy dealing with this particular OCD and helping him understand that he wasn't going to get marched down to hell and helping him understand the difference between. What do you share with parents that might worry that their kids are too obedient or too concerned or fearful of messing up or not? You know, sometimes I've even heard this phrase, you know, um, not as perfect obedience. You know, it's it's something above obedience, perfect obedience. And so we put these kind of standards that I think maybe add to the load our kids feel. What do you sort of share with parents to sort of take the pressure off, you know, their kids? And so they kind of can... You know, a lot of us, so they won't give any child any type of di di diagnosis before like the age of third grade. And um, after we got the diagnosis that we did... Like, then his teachers were saying, yeah, I, I suspected this. I suspected this. And that was the other weird thing is apparently in the schools, they're not allowed to, the teachers aren't allowed to say, hey, I think he's dyslexic or I think he's got this mm. or I think he's got that. But, but I think that as a parent, if you can tell, if you have a suspicion, don't be afraid to talk about it with their doctor and then seek some extra help. Um, it was actually our therapist who said, Connor needs to go and see somebody more because the things that normally would work are not helping him. And then going back, and we wound up having to get a specialist involved. We got the school psychologist involved. We had open, clear conversations with the teacher, with the principal, and that included Connor. And so... About what the expectations were of him and how he was going to learn and kind of how to modify some things for him. And I picked him up two days a week and took him to a specialist That's for really cool. almost 18 months. You know, and, and I wanted to just give him, honestly, I just want to give him a pill and make him better, right? What Can't we just prescribe something? And the doctors were very nervous to give a prescription. And so we worked through things and, and then kind of he is on on a medication right now that helps them with anxiety, but, um, and then we kind of tested an ADD and it's been, it's been two and a half, almost, it's been three years, but now he can go to school all day and he can, he, and he's doing great. And, um, and he also occasionally will tell us that he wants to die. And that, he tells you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we have a word that he, that's a code word for that he's having suicidal thoughts. And um, my, my instinct and the instincts that you have as a parent is, oh, don't talk like that. Don't say that. Don't be ridiculous. Don't be silly. Don't, don't, you, you know, we want to stop them from talking like that. But what we learned is that we need to say, really? Tell me, tell me more. Or I don't blame you for feeling that way. Because if they can talk about it and if they can let. I don't blame you for feeling that way. Yeah. And I, ha I learned that. I had to learn that from this, this therapist of, of our families that said, if you are feeling the worst possible thing that you can possibly feel, 
I'm not going to understand it, but I can imagine that if I feel the worst thing I ever felt, I would also want to end my suffering. And so I had, I've had to learn that even though the absolute scariest thing that my child can say to me is that they want to die and that they want to be with Corey and that they don't, don't want to be here anymore is really come sit down and tell me more about that. It's so hard and so scary. And it put, it put me into <laughs> a depression of my own, this, this absolute fear. It's honest. But now I let him talk to me about it and and I think that he feels safe to talk to me about it. And I don't get mad at him or condemn him or tell him that he's ridiculous. And um, and then we go and eat ice cream. <laughs> I'm just so touched by the parenting skills that you're sharing with other parents and priesthood leaders and friends. That's really powerful the way you've opened the door to a conversation that your son needs to have. And you've de-shamed the conversation and you've created a safe spot for you, for him to talk to you. Well, if we keep in our, in our communities, if we keep acting like talking about suicide is like a contagious, something that will make you want to do it. It's actually the opposite. When we can get our feelings out and bring it into the light, I like to say, then things don't feel so overwhelming or so bad. Those thousand things start to sort of, you know, don't seem quite as bad. Talk about this concept of giving your kids space to figure it out on their own. So this is my regret. This is my shame. And I feel this very, okay, so I've been listening to your podcast for a long time. I'm honored. And I am amazed at some of the other parents that have come onto your podcast and talk about struggles that they've had with their kids and difficult things that they've had to talk about with their kids and how they very calmly, I remember, I remember listening about one family that, you know, got difficult information from a child and just invited them to that child to come and lay with them yeah. in their bed. And, and just calmly hold hold them and reassure them and um i love that if when we have a child come and tell us something that is horrible or scary we don't really know how to deal with because we haven't dealt with it yet if we could stay calm <laughs> that would just be so awesome and i think that I think that for me and being super honest, just like I kind of expected my 16 year old, 14, 15, 16 year old kid to have a testimony that was just the same as me as a 40 something returned missionary, mother of five life of highs and lows and all kinds of things in between. I expected my 14 year old to have that same kind of conviction, understanding and toe the line and do all the things that they're supposed to do 
in school, in work, in play, in keeping their room clean. You know, I was not super flexible. And some would say allowing that flexibility to be like a pushover parent. Here's what I believe with, and, and here, here's the thing. I really believe that I had a good relationship with Corey and I, and I did. Um, I love that kid. He loved me. We could joke, we could have fun. He gave the best hugs and massages and great kid. I have a sense that he was afraid to tell me his real truth. So he didn't want to disappoint me. And you know what? I don't care what age you are. You never want to disappoint your parents. I think that instead of it being our job to make sure that our kids are towing the line and doing everything they're supposed to do so that they're successful humans and adults, I think instead our responsibility is to let them know that we are their ally and that no matter what, good things, bad things, we're going to work it out. We're going to work through it. And I don't expect you to be perfect. And I'm not perfect. And and it doesn't change the, that doesn't take away the consequences. They're still there. Right. But it just says, we'll do it together. You know, whatever the decision is, we can't change it. So let's work this out and move forward. But doing it together. I know that Corey didn't... I love the word ally. Corey didn't want to upset us. He wanted to make us laugh. He wanted to make us happy. He wanted to make us proud. And um, so now what I, what I strive, what we strive for, what, and what we share and teach in any opportunity we can is to put the relationship first. And if that means that a, a rule takes the back seat, if that means, and, and I'll just sort of rub Eric on the shoulder here as I say, if that means rugby gear on the family room floor, we just kind of look over that and err on the side of the relationship. And then after we've made the connection and the conversation, then we invite people to... This is a beautiful story. <laughs> it's not easy. This is I'm, not easy. I'm really tender-hearted for you because part of your answer reflects on what you think you would have done differently. And I think all parents that have lost a child to suicide, and you know this road... You just self-reflect, and I, and you think, what could I have done different? And you rehash those last conversations, that last interaction, which I think for you was really good, Eric, as you visited before the podcast started, before you left on that trip. It was a wonderful interaction. And your last visit, you know, with Corey were great. So you do have, but you probably just process everything. And then as you learn more, you think of what you could do different and. And how do you stay out of that world? Because I know you're in that world sometimes where you just look in the mirror and go, oh, we wish we'd done stuff different. How do you, what do you say to other parents to keep them just 
be able to move forward and and not just think this is my fault or regret the four things they should have done differently. Because I think it's the thousand things that went on here and 996 of those are out of your control. Yeah. yeah. What would you say? I don't know. I don't know if there's a, a magic to so, that because there's a lot of times that I... Yeah, be honest, I, I get to a point where I just kind of think, okay, well, uh, you beat yourself up enough that I just want to join him. It's honest. And, you know, it's it's hard. So I don't know that there's a magic thing, and I don't know that I've learned the best way to to deal with that. That is a great answer because it's not really an, it's just so honest, Derek. Yeah. And maybe that's what fellow parents on this road need to hear is that it's really hard and there's no simple answer. And maybe I want to make this go away for you, but it's not, it's just something nobody mortal can lift from you. You know, no one can be so high to your thoughts on this. I think that, well, Every single day, there's one quote that I push through my brain every single day. And that is that you have to, it's a quote by Maya Angelou that says, forgive yourself for the things you didn't know before you learned them. And... Will you just say that again? Yeah. It says, forgive yourself for the things you didn't know before you learned them. And... I write that down in a lot of places. I don't know. I'm going to be completely honest with you. I haven't. And I might not even want to yet. But I am aware that since losing Corey and since really going into like wanting to understand I really, really want to understand what what I missed, what I did wrong, what happened. And so much enlightenment and information has come because we still have, we still have four kids here that need 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 us. And we, um, I am very well aware, I and mean, we're both very aware that there's no way that we would know what we know now without this situation. We never, there's, there's no shortcut to this. There's no cliff notes. There's, there's no way. And so that was a very, um, that was a very, it's a very important thing to embrace no matter what you regret. Those are really honest answers, and I think that may be the best answer you can give to other parents that are on this road or just started this road and are listening to this podcast, because I, I think that's just the reality of the situation. It's really honest, and I think there's healing and honesty yeah. versus and saying everything. Yeah. And yeah. so I think you're doing that yourselves right now, but it's part of your parenting skills to your kids, you know, and creating, because you're honest. <laughs> in this podcast right now. And then I think it creates a feeling 
that's maybe a parenting skill that as you're honest as parents, it creates safety for our own kids to talk. We don't have to be the perfect parents. And sometimes I try to get more vulnerable with my own kids sometimes. And I don't understand this or I don't have this figured out. And it seems to, I read this quote a lot in the podcast. So all you listeners know it's coming. <laughs> the wounded healer is this idea that a minister service, and both of you are the wounded healer right now, and both of you, this applies to, a a minister's service will not be perceived as authentic unless it comes from the heart wounded about, about what he or she speaks. The great illusion of leadership is to think that others can be led out of the desert by someone who's never been there. And you know this desert. It is barren and dry and brutal and... I don't know that desert, and you would never invite another parent to know that desert, but other people are in that desert. Mm -hmm. And you're the wounded healers and what you're doing, both of you, and I know, Heidi, you feel a little more called you've to be in this space than Eric, and Eric, you're doing a great job when you're in this space. <laughs> you're real and authentic and really very insightful and helpful, but you are wounded healers. You're helping others. And the other parallel, I think, is you know how to lead people out of other deserts. You know, this, because you just have better skills, pastoral skills to help other people. Um, we talked before we started the podcast about LGBTQ, and I think there's a pretty good feeling you don't think Corey was gay. And this wasn't, an, you don't have an LGBTQ kid. But I think what you said before is it's connected a little bit more with other groups of people that have harder roads. And I think it's part of, and so I, I don't know if, if God were standing here what he'd say, but I think he'd say, this experience I knew would give you gifts that now you're using to help and bless my other children. And I'm so grateful for the way you're taking this absolutely brutal experience that no parent should go through. And even though you have really, really dark days and you want to be there with Corey sometimes, that you're, you're taking what you know and blessing other people's lives. And I just think it's a beautiful um, honoring of your baptism covenants and your covenants. And it, I think it's a great way to honor Corey. You know, um, I, talk I, about, go ahead and add to that, but then I want you to talk about Hawaii and you left, you already had a trip for Hawaii that was booked and you, right after the funeral, I think you left for Hawaii and talk about the experience alone on the beach that night. Um, yeah, we, we did. We had a, but you may have had a thought you wanted to jump in there. Well, one of the things that I, I did want to share is that I oftentimes imagine Corey here in the, in the room with me, um, wherever I am. And I imagine just knowing Corey that he, the last thing that he wanted to do was to make us sad. The, the last thing he would want to do is to give us pain. Um, and I often imagine him watching me and not wanting to add to his burden. And I feel like as I can honor his story and take the knowledge and understanding that I'm gaining by talking to other families and by talking to people about this that have experienced it. I feel like him seeing us be able to use this experience to help others is a way that I can 
parent him and love him and parent him you're still his mom and i i that want hasn't changed no and i just want to help his him on his journey and so i want him to be able to see this as a way to help others and so i don't want him to look at me falling apart and think i did that to her i want him to see us gathering strength and and know that he has helped us gather that strength i mean i i don't know if that makes i love sense, that but it I, does um so yeah we th th this was a hard this was a hard part of our, of our story was that we had a, a trip to hawaii planned before Corey passed away and we'd never taken our kids on this type of an extravagant vacation we'd spent too much money and we were even like why are we and we really felt prompted to to plan this trip and we wanted and it was funny i remember that out of the blue she came in one night and said i really feel like we need to go to hawaii we need to take everybody we need to take everybody to hawaii i just looked at her what and i was like okay <laughs> i just had to say that out loud i knew it was stupid but i just had to say it out loud and then he stayed up the entire night researching trying to, to find Eric. an airbnb <laughs> i planned out an amazing vacation over the next six hours through the night and and, we and kept so it secret we bought the tickets and we made this plan and we were supposed to be leaving the day that we had a funeral and we thought you know i wonder if we would have told them the secret if maybe he would have stayed or but but in the end, um, Eric was able to rearrange the tickets and, and also the accommodations, and, and we went. You went. You left the day after the funeral. You got on a flight to Hawaii as a family. Yeah. and Sat in the very back of the plane. And there were, like, people who knew me, knew our families on the flight. Crying. You know, we were still. It sure. was rough. It was rough. And, and it was not the epic Hawaiian vacation that we had we planned, but um, we ate ice cream inside the beach house. <laughs> um, but one night I kind of slipped out and it was dark and walked out onto the beach and there was just kind of enough light for me to be able to see. And I basically said to Heavenly Father, you got to give me some because I, I can't do this. And I can't explain it other than I just heard Corey's voice in my head. And yeah, I'd kind of know Corey's personality, but I heard his voice say, no one told me there wouldn't be food here. And it caught, sounds this, like a 16 year old. Okay, this caught me so off guard. And I knew that it <laughs> that I wasn't making it up, and I laughed out loud. That's awesome! Like, oh my gosh, right? It's the same personality. There's probably no food for like spirits don't eat. I guess you know. I, I didn't. I didn't know. And that sounds terrible. I've never I thought know, of that. I know, right? I'm going out to dinner right after this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and he, um, and then in his voice, which was very clear to me in in my head. He said, Mom, Jesus was here 
to greet me when I came. And he said, Jesus is everything he always said he was. And for me to hear that, coming from this boy who had just fought belief, I knew that he was that he was in the Savior's hands as he was broken and unbelieving and sad and desperate. And my Heavenly Father gave me that. And Corey, Corey said, Mom, I don't want you to be afraid of anything. Jesus has your back. That was it. And I got what I needed. At that, at that point, I came, I came back in, and I, I told Eric what had happened, and I wrote it down. And I, and here, here's the thing. It didn't take away my pain, or my sadness, or my loneliness, or my regret, or my shame, or any of the things that I was going through. But it gave me that, that extra strength. And that's what the Savior does. He can't snap his fingers and take our pain away. But he can give us what that extra, that extra something to allow us to carry, carry that burden. And um, I think about that every day. What island were you on? Oahu. So this is on Oahu Beach. We're at the North Shore. You're at the North Shore on a beach at night oh, when this whole happened. This whole... When we walked into the house that Eric had rented, there was a sign on the wall in the decor. I hope I can get this right. It said... A home on the on the beach is closer to heaven. And the second I saw that sign, you see it right when you walked in the door, right when we stepped in. And I looked at Eric and and I knew that I knew that our Heavenly Father knew we were gonna need a place to go. On that day, that would provide us this safe, beautiful place close to heaven. And um, I, we count that as one of the tender mercies. It's a pretty tender story, and I love 
I love all of that story, but I love this. Your honesty, it didn't take away our pain. It didn't. That's And it comes back to this wounded healer. The wounded healer is still wounded. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. So you're still wounded. You still feel pain of this situation, but you're healing yourself and you're healing other people and you have an eternal perspective of what's going on here and know where Corey is, but it doesn't change the fact that you're separated from your own son. Um, it's tender for me to just to watch you holding hands and <laughs> having tears and just the strength of your relationship. Share with our listeners an experience you had with Heavenly Mother, if you'd like to. Um, so I share this with um, the utmost reverence for this experience. Um, but this was a really unexpected moment and um, I want to say that it was it was about eight months after now it's kind of close to as we were we were coming up on the on the year marks so maybe eight or nine months after Corey had passed away and um, I'm kind of a workaholic and so I was finding um, escape in work. And I would get in the car and drive my 30-minute drive to work, and I'd kind of cry the whole way there and then get back in the car and cry the whole way home. And, and my car became um, like a little place for prayer for me. And I just would talk out loud to, to God. And um, this particular day, I remember just being so worried about how Corey was feeling and how he was progressing and where was he and was he getting, I was worried about him getting help. I don't know why. Um, and I often tried to talk out loud to Corey, like try to help him, try to tell him what I was learning or thinking and, Anyway, <laughs> um, and I remember exactly where I was. And I was actually driving and very clearly. And when I, when I hear from the spirit, I hear a man's voice for whatever reason, that's what I hear. Um, and I heard a woman's voice in my head call me by name. And it was it was a voice that had authority but had like this ultimate kindness. And she said, "Heidi, I'm your heavenly mother." She said, Corey is in my care. Just like all the babies who pass before their moms do. And she said, he is well. And then she said, Heidi, Corey needs you to forgive him.
I don't know if I realized that I hadn't forgiven Corey or that I had work to do. But this notion, Heidi, Corey needs you to forgive him. And I can just remember, like, <laughs> first of all, my first instinct was, well, I'm not, not forgiving him. You, you know, I was almost like defensive. And then I can just remember exhaling what felt like every tense muscle in my entire neck and shoulders. And I just, like, I just breathed out. And I, I remember just like, I don't know if you can imagine this. I just, and I just let go of, resentment that I was feeling that I didn't really know I was feeling, but it was really tight. And that was it. But I, I never knew that I had actually turned my child over to my mom and she knew what to do. And it, just like with your earthly mom, I knew that she, that my kids were always in good hands with her, you know, and I stopped worrying about him. And do you remember me? I, I came home and I just, explained that thing and it was, it was a miracle for me. It's a beautiful story. It just reminds me, I listened to a Sister Eubank talk about the power of our doctrine of heavenly parents and what that means. And it's part of the restoration to understand better of the eternal plan and having heavenly parents. But I, there's some wording in there that is so tender to me. All the babies, you use the word babies. Yeah that die before their mothers die are with me. And and it was so, like, when when I heard that in my head, I just was like, well, of course they are. So that's the phrase that came to my mind, of course they are. Who else would they be with? This is the I mother think... of their spirits, just like you're the mother of this this kid. I keep calling your son a kid. <laughs> when I was 12, <laughs> um, I have a brother who passed away when he was six. And I always just imagined him by himself somewhere. And that was the same with Corey. I just kind of imagined him, I don't know, bending for himself or skateboarding in the clouds. or I don't know. Like, I I wasn't... Yeah, we do that. <laughs> Maybe your artwork <laughs> symbolizes that. Or... I wasn't sure. I think it bothered me thinking that he was taking care of himself. Well, and anytime your kids go away for any reason, whether it be summer camp or scout camp or whatever it is, you want to envision what your kids are doing. 
You want to understand what they're going through. You want to know what they're going through. You want to hear from them. You want to talk to them. So when you lose a child, you want to know. Where are they? What are they doing? Who's taking care of them? What? Are... So it, it, it brought so much peace to know that he is being taken care of. Somebody has him. Somebody's got their arms around him and is making sure that he's got a grilled cheese sandwich when he needs it. <laughs> and I love and that, that he's being loved. And he need and somehow he knew you well enough that knew that you needed to forgive him because that was hard on him. And it the underlying part of the part of that whole story is that he knows you well enough to know how you felt. And and there's a connection there. And he needed that because he loves you and he knows who you are and he knows how you felt. Well, and whenever we talk about the doctrine of, of forgiveness, both people need it equally. That's a good point. You know, and um, that that moment when I kind of just, I just kind of like relaxed. I was holding, I was holding a lot of feelings, not necessarily... I wasn't mad at him, but I was ticked, <laughs> you, you know, and, and so I, anyway, that, that was, I would say that that was a, the beginning of when I started to, um, I think that that's when I started to heal. Yeah. Eric, you, we talked before we started that you don't get these experiences. Um, so your wife's getting these experiences. You're not. Are you okay with that? I'm kind of asking you to speak for the spouses that don't get these experiences and think, maybe self-reflect, well, I'm not spiritual enough or my kid doesn't love me. or And I don't know if you've ever felt any resentment towards your own spouse because she's having the experiences you're not. Any just thoughts you'd like to share? No, it's not fair. I'm not happy with it. <laughs> this is what we like about you guys. You're so honest. <laughs> but no, I don't feel any resentment. I, I, I think almost in a way, I just I understand that there's that we need different things, and that we understand things differently, and I've kind of come to terms I guess that that I just don't get those types of things um, I wish I did I, I great answer I really wish I did I, really I wish look, you did too I, I, I look for them I, I want them I you know think maybe if I thought about them a whole bunch right and I go to sleep I could have a dream <laughs> um But no, but I don't resent. I don't resent her at all. I don't resent. Good. But I love your honesty. You'd have love to have those experiences. Every father, every mother would love to have those experiences. And, um, talk about, and we're about to the end, so be thinking of any last closing thoughts. By the way, we tracked down that podcast number that Heidi referenced. It's okay. 86. Okay. So it's Jeff Case talking about this model of suicide that is very helpful, and I encourage our listeners because I don't have any I clinical really, training. I really appreciate him. And he has really good clinical training, and I thought that was really helpful. Talk. You had an uncle that I believe died also, and he 
one of the feelings you thought from him is, you know, just the lessons that we, the critical lessons that need to be learned and the atonement makes us clean, but the lessons we learn are so important and it's not like those get erased. Um, yeah, this, so at this point, you guys listening are probably thinking that I'm just crazy and that I hear voices in my head and that. <laughs> and that's partially true. <laughs> Um, creative people are interesting. I think it's a spiritual it? gift. It is a spiritual gift. It is definitely a spiritual gift that she has. Um, so I, after Corey passed away, um, it was hard for me to go to church. And our ward family is amazing, was amazing to us. And they... Um, love, like everybody just loved Corey. It took all of us by shock or by surprise. Everybody was in shock about the situation and, and in mourning, serious mourning. Um, but I realized when I went to church the next couple of, of weeks, like sitting in the Relief Society room, which is where we'd had his viewing, wow. was very um, unsettling. And people, as much as they loved us and loved our family, and they didn't know what to say. And I was uncomfortable looking at people in the eyes because they just looked at me with so much, you know, sadness. And You know, let's talk about that for just a second, as long as we're there. Good. Before we get into... That is such a hard thing, is what do you say? And people don't know what to say, so people avoid you. Yeah. People will look at you. They kind of give a, a, I don't want to call it a smile, but it's an acknowledgement that you're there. Eyes they, down. Eyes down, <laughs> but they don't know what to say to you. They don't know how to react. They don't know how to respond. Um, and and that was hard. That was really hard, you know? And, and all, I For think, all of us, for not just us, us, but them. But for them. And, and that's a... What and advice I, would you give to I, people? I think the best advice is is probably to just to to still be um, to just show them love and say that. The hardest question I think in the first little bit is, what can I do for you? Well, you can bring my son back and make everything right again. That's what you could do for me. Other than that, I don't know. I can't think of anything else that I want. I don't want to eat. I don't want to sleep. I don't care what my yard looks like. I just want my son back. So don't ask what you can do. That's not where our thoughts are. That's not where we were. And that's in that first couple of weeks. That's very months. Um, just offer to do things. I want to take you to lunch. I want to, I want to be there for you. I want... And do it. Is it helpful when they talk about Corey and use his name and re and talk about him and the things? Yes. And just because that's my general impression is to continue to talk about this kid people and use love, his name. People and, love to talk about the people that they love. That's right. And we've got a, a great, sorry, I leaned back from the mic. We've got a great big picture of Corey on the wall right above the kitchen table. Um uh, hand-drawn, beautiful picture of him. And and we talk about him all the time. Good. And those stories are healing. 
but and, and I'll add to Eric, I think that the problem is people are what, like they don't know what to say. And so it's like and I don't, it's kind of I don't paralysis of I don't know what to say, so I'm not gonna say anything. And so I think it's best just to say, I'm thinking of you and I love you. I don't think you have to say yourself you don't have to apologize. Just that's everybody can do to, what you just both you said. Just say, I'm thinking you and I love you. Yeah. And that's that's enough. And and even just like kind of a rub on the shoulder, a look in the eye, that is enough. But the look down and avoid and being paralyzed because is, you don't know what to say is hard is uncomfortable. You know, don't worry about trying to think of the the most perfect thing and profound thing. Just say yeah. you're thinking of me and you love me. So we were we would go to church and it just was very unaf unfulfilling. Um you need real and authentic conversations, perhaps. Yeah. Well, and there was not a lesson that was going to help. Yeah. There wasn't a talk that was going to help. Like, it was really emptiness. We and we wanted to be. We wanted to hear something so much that would help. Um. And I think every Sunday was just disappointing, and. Um, and it was really hard to hear other people talk about their struggles and things that really were hard for them. That were there we, miracles that we just sat there and thought, Are there miracles? You don't have really a that was hard. That's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so honest. <laughs> it was well, and our kids were our kids were having a hard time because, um, you know, the things that were hard for their friends weren't like they're so insignificant. I mean, in, 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 in our in comparison, in comparison, or in that moment, yeah, yeah, in the moment, and it was hard. Um, so I, so I had this experience that actually really, really changed things for me. And, um, I'm glad that I get to share this because I don't know if I could go up and share it from a pulpit, maybe someday, even though I do feel like it's truth. Um, so I woke up, it was, it was the first Sunday in November after Corey passed and it was, it was a fast Sunday and I was fasting. And, um, as I was getting ready for church and, Going through primary, I could feel the spirit kind of like tapping on my shoulder. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but it, like I, I could tell that there was a message waiting for me, which I know sounds weird, but I have this weird relationship with the spirit. And so um, I was saying to the spirit, okay, well, I've got to, I don't have time to listen right now. So just hang on. Let me just get through primary. And so I remember actually coming into sacrament meeting, sitting down, the meeting's getting started, and I remember thinking to myself, okay, I'm ready for whatever it is that you, that you need, that's so important, you've got to tell me. And very clearly, again, with a voice. But this time, it is the voice of my uncle. And this is an uncle who I truly have a connection with, but he did not make good choices in, and he's passed away. In life. He had passed away. He, yeah, he's passed away eight or nine years ago. Um, and when he passed away, he was homeless and um, living on the streets and, and just still had a lot of spit and vinegar, but but he, he was destitute. Um, I remember hearing his voice, which was very distinctive. And he said, Heidi critical and necessary lessons can also be learned by choosing the wrong. 
And in that moment, I totally knew where I was coming from. And it was, I finally like heard something that helped me negotiate this, 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 the fact that Corey had made this decision and it was so wrong and it was so horrible and it had ruined everything. And I imagine my uncle also was probably greeted by Jesus. Also had a moment where he got to look down at the really crappy decisions that he had made. And the fact was that he learned the lesson. We came here to learn the lesson. We didn't come here to do it perfectly. Heavenly Father knew we wouldn't do it perfectly. And that's the whole point of having this atonement that And so I, I finally, again, it was like another one of my breathing moments, another breath that I was able to take when I was like, oh. So yeah, this was not a great decision. But some valuable lessons and critical lessons can be learned from this. And, you know, unfortunately, like, I couldn't, I couldn't get Corey back and there was no reversal of the situation. But then I realized it wasn't just about Corey. It was about us. A, a, a bad choice was made. I'm just going to call it a bad choice. I, you know, I don't love this choice that Corey made at all. But critical lessons have been learned by all of us all of us and it is my hope and my dream i guess my passion to help other families and other parents and other people who are struggling to um to get a little glimpse of these lessons obviously none not all of them can be learned from the outside but I think that there's valuable information that can be shared and learned from, from this experience. You do a podcast with Corey's therapist. How do people get to that podcast? So the podcast is called light the fight, light the fight. So if I Google that or go to uh-huh. Heidi's light or go to your webpage the fight. and we're on Instagram and we're on Facebook and we have a website, lightthefight.com. And it's L I G H T the fight. Light yes. the fight. And yes. all the places you can get podcasts, Apple, Google. Good. Yeah, and you know, it's kind of um, me being the hypersensitive, overreactive, uneducated, you know, the mom that with all the questions and all the worries and concerns and that's what makes it go though. (laughs) And and David Kozlowski, who is um, a marriage and family therapist and specialized for years and years and years with. Um, at-risk teens and suicide prevention and what a great team you two make and it's it's if if nothing else it has helped to give me a voice and help me to come to terms and and get some vocabulary like i'm sure that you you know you've learned some one of the things as you're talking about these lessons is is colton who served a mission in japan 
and is 21, and Quincy and Capri and Connor. And I would guess that, you know, this experience will forever define their life, but I think there's wonderful critical lessons that will become a part of hardwired into their lives because of this in a positive way. And I'm thinking of their future spouses. Obviously, none of them are married. I don't think Colton at 21 is married. No, not yet. And so I'm thinking that even their future spouses recognize wonderful gifts in who they're marrying because of this, these critical lessons and the added skills that they have as parents. And as, and so I think there's so much pain in this, but I think there's so much future beauty. And, you know, maybe as you're watching your grandkids being raised by your kids and their spouses, you recognize your kids have skills that I never had and not lots of parents don't have. And maybe those are wonderful paydays for you as you see the the realism and the skills and the conversation and the vulnerability and the that the skills talk about real things that are going on in your family and even your journey with Connor with the, with the good work you've done for him and where this the space this kid's in. So that to me is part of the beauty of your story and what you're doing for so many other people and what you've done for me just tonight listening. You know, there's that movie that Will Smith is in and it's called Collateral Beauty. Collateral Beauty. I don't know beauty. if you've ever seen it, but... I love the title. It's It's a... You know, he loses somebody, and and it's kind of about him coming out of it. And I and I've thought about that a lot. And I I watched the movie on a plane and just bawled my eyes out, which is always awesome. But it's such a it's such a good way to look at it. It's hard for me to it's hard for me to say that I'm grateful for this. I don't know that I'll ever. I don't think you need. Yeah. I think I'll ever say that. But. You know, I, I I know this that the Savior had to come and get a body and do what He did, so that He would know what it felt like. Our Heavenly Father could give the Savior a lot of gifts, but He couldn't just give Him empathy. He had to actually gain that Himself. And I truly believe that as we go through difficult things in our lives. That is how we become like the Savior, as we gain this empathy that allows us to connect with other people and feel their pain and understand where they're coming from and see the world in a, from an from a eternal perspective. And I will say boldly, maybe, that I feel like Eric and I have have become more like the Savior in many ways, but in particular in our empathy for those who are struggling and um, those who have lost people. And that's the wounded healer. Christ is the ultimate wounded healer because he's felt everything. And I think that's part of mortality. One of the impressions I keep having as we're talking about your family, is a blessing I gave to a YSA who had taken innocent life in Afghanistan. He's a military guy, and he just knew as he was bombing the Taliban that innocent people died. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, I can't say the correct, correct word, ir, he couldn't reconcile it. There was no 
And so, and I didn't have any way to reconcile as I started this blessing, but then these words came into my mind um, that it was that, that nobody's eternal possibilities of change because of what happened in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And it was so healing to him just because he knew that in God's great plan that these innocent people that he kind of knew were collateral damage in his what he was doing was right, his military assignment, he was doing the right thing, but he just knew that probably innocent people died. And and that and so I think of that impression a little bit in your family, that your eternal destiny, your eternal possibilities, your eternal hopes that you had in the pre-earth life for your eternal family, there the more the mortal experience has changed, but the the glory of the, your eternal family and all everything you've ever hoped for as a mom and a dad, I would think God would say all that's on the table. And everything you've hoped for and every prayer you said, and we were innocently starting these marriages out for our future kids, <laughs> and it doesn't turn out like, I think that God would just say that's all on the table and don't ever rule anything out and it's painful right now. And and I love that for parents that have kids that have stepped away from the church or just different situations that cause our original hopes and dreams to change. And I think you're doing a good job just leaving at the Savior's feet and keeping your family together and talking about this. And this now is the longest podcast we've ever done. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, is, I don't think our listeners are sorry. Heidi, dang it. And I think you're going to probably break this up into four or five episodes. <laughs> Some of our listeners may see the length of this and listen to it all at once or break it into two episodes, but I don't want to delete any of this content because it's just, it's really good content and it's real and authentic and it's vulnerable and it is so helpful. So there'll be some people that this will be their favorite podcast episode they've listened, ever listened to on any podcast you because it just, just speaks to them. So now that we're at the longest, we're going to ask for closing comments. Who wants to go first? Amen. <laughs> that's, that's Eric's You've, trying to keep this short. Eric's done a great job on this podcast. My any, first ever. Anything else you want to say, Eric? No. A just, plug for rugby? No, just thank you. <laughs> thank you for, for being there. Thank you for helping. Um, the as Heidi's got me listening to you just I've learned so much and and the love of our Savior I've learned so much more of the love of our Savior Um, and it's just been it's just been great and I uh, I thank you for what you're doing thank you very much means a lot Heidi I think that um I've clearly overstayed my welcome. You have not. <laughs> we all vote um, that I did down. I, but I echo Eric. I have, I've been, I've been really blessed by each and every person that has come on to your podcast. And here comes my storyteller. Stories heal. Number one. And number two, stories connect. And it's so hard when we feel like it's only us. And as I've listened to the different stories on your show, like whether it was this, the girl that was sex trafficked or the single mom who has lost a husband and, and a son and, 
you know, in a shooting or, you know, I mean, there, there's countless stories that I have. I mean, I've sat up late at night working on my scrapbooking up in my room, sobbing with these, with these people. I know this, every one of us have this divine opportunity to suffer here. And it's not a punishment. And our Heavenly Father would never ask us to do something unless he really believed it was for our good. And there's a scripture that I love, and I wish that I had the reference right now and I should have looked at it, but it says, you'll probably recognize it, it's in Doctrine and Covenants, and it says, all things, be, be comforted, for all things are for our good. And that, that's the good things, it's the rotten things, it's the highs and the lows, that it's all for our good. And as we share, as we come together and we share, then we strengthen one another and learn from one another. And if I can learn something from the people that you talk to, then maybe I don't have to go through it myself or, but I still get to, to benefit. And like Eric says, I have come to know the savior through the stories of the people who have sat here before me. And it has, it's been a blessing in my life. And so I'm thankful to every person who's been here on the podcast, sharing their tender, tender stories and for everybody who will sit here, and I'm thankful for your willingness to put yourself on the line with difficult topics. And I just really honor what you're doing. I'm thankful. Thank you, Heidi. Coming from you and Eric, that means a lot. Tell us your website again, one last, just so our listeners can find you if they want to find you. So you can find me at HeidiSwap.com. You can find my podcast at lightthefight.com. And you can message me on Instagram. Um, that's probably the best place. The other places are kind of like staffed. So if you want to DM <laughs> Heidi, go find her on that's Instagram. That's probably the best place. And um, I, I just, I want to be somebody that, that helps find people find solutions and, and comfort and, and and better ways because I think that we can always we can always keep learning and That's when cool. we know better we can do better. I love that, Eric and Heidi Swap. I'm gonna give a shout out to all your kids, Colton, Corey, Quincy, Capri, and Connor if they're ever listening. Your wonderful family, the Swap family, family of seven right now. You're going to have some in-laws and some grandkids. In-laws? <laughs> is that what you call your kids that marry? Those aren't yeah. your in-laws. I, I guess that's... Anyway, they're grafted in. They're grafted in. But <laughs> thank you, um, our listeners, for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. <laughs>